I'm Leonie Smith, sometimes known as the Cyber Safety Lady. I'm a cyber, so sorry, I'll say that again. I'm a uh-huh. cyber safety educator, and this podcast is all about learning how to use the digital technology in our homes with more safety and balance. My guest today is Catherine Nibbs. Catherine is a clinical doctoral researcher, she's going to tell us what that is in a minute, a consultant, public speaker author and child and adult trauma psychotherapist. She writes about and works with cyber trauma, which is any trauma that occurs through an internet-ready device. And we're going to hear about what that all means. Catherine Nibbs, welcome to the Digital Families podcast. Thank you for inviting me, Leonie. Catherine, please tell us a little bit about your background. Uh, What led you to be involved in cyber trauma? And can you explain a little bit more about what cyber trauma really is? Okay, so uh, succinctly, I am a a mum and basically my background is in technology and uh, IT and engineering. I'm actually a a qualified mechanical, electronic and electrical engineer as my first trade. Um, And I moved into the world of computing and IT when I left the armed forces and in doing so learned a lot about cybersecurity, you know, technology as it was. And I had my children um, 20 plus years ago. And since then, you know, watching my children grow up in a digital space, I became really interested in who they were talking to, uh, how things actually worked in the internet from their perspective, as well as mine. Um, I've worked in and around the gaming industry uh, and, and lots, lots and lots of technology behind me. And just before 2010 I actually um, took an undergraduate degree in psychology and I was going to do something called cognitive neuroscience so I was going to be a a full-on academic and I ended up taking a bit of a pivot and training as a child and adult psychotherapist. At the same time I was watching a lot of what children were doing, I was uh, earning part-time wages through going into schools and teaching them about sex and relationships education and what I was watching was this narrative that was around children about things that they'd come across that they uh, they'd been affected by and in 2011 I actually coined the phrase cyber trauma and that's because in in the early 2010s onward we tended to to phrase everything with the word cyber we now use the word digital in front of everything so you can see that there's like a a paradigm shift but i came cyber cyber is still an unpopular popular term Mm. so so I, i kind of looked at um when when i was working with children in the therapy room i was dealing with a lot of uh child sexual abuse uh domestic abuse But one of the things that always seemed to parallel was this internet space and the kind of issues that people could face in the internet space. Mm. And, you know, working in and around e-safety, as as it's still called, I noticed that nobody talked about the impact of mistakes or the impact of viewing something or the impact of going somewhere online that maybe you shouldn't have done. And I noticed that parents would come to me in therapy and say, okay, this has happened, Cass, now what do we do? So in, in terms of e-safety, I'm on the opposite side. I'm on the impact. This is the, now it's happened, now what do we do? So cyber trauma. I just want to interrupt you there because yeah. something you said is really interesting about no one had approached that before. So without interrupting your, your, your mm-hmm. introduction, was there nothing to compare it to before the internet? So with television or movies or any other content? The only thing that I could find was yeah. um, really to do with what, what we have in this country, in the UK, which is the British Board Film Classification in terms of how films and movies are rated. But yeah. it hadn't been applied. It hadn't been and still isn't applied to uh, cyberspace so we don't have uh, age recommendations on social media you know videos can be shared and have been for a long time without any kind of um, what we call a trigger warning Um, nowadays they have uh, filters that say you know pretty much um, 
this this video or this image may contain graphic imagery and there doesn't seem to be a consistency with that yeah. and, the, so, and the, one of the things that i i tell parents all the time with those age ratings is the 13 plus age rating has nothing to do with the content it mm -hmm. has everything to do with data collection because it's set by um, yes. copper um, and that's the problem because a lot of parents see 13 plus and they think it's PG rated and I have to say to them it has nothing to do with the risk that they are uh, putting themselves in as to what they might see anything from a beheading to pornography or anything could yeah. be appearing on that platform so we don't have a content we have content warnings if you go to iTunes for instance you will see there's content warnings down there which mm -hmm. will say you know potential nudity whatever no one ever reads them we, yes. we absolutely need to have a, a, a complete overhaul of the classification for the internet and everything that's on the internet in order to reflect a true representation of what a child could be exposed to. I, well, absolutely. I think in, um, I'm just doing a bit of quick reflection here. I think during my undergrad, so this must have been 2007, 2008, I actually did a, a dissertation or, or a small dissertation on um, how we categorise music lyrics. And the only way that those are pretty much categorised is with the word explicit. You know, there, right. there's, no, there's no real explanation about what that means, whether it's lyrics that relate to misogyny, whether they re relate to rape, whether it's about okay. hate, hate speech. And, and that's, that's been around in the music world. So literally we have ratings for TV, video, um, movies, and for the sales of computer games, but it doesn't actually give you um, the, the moderated warnings about what can actually occur within that space. And again, mm -hmm. as you've just said, Leonie, we don't have a rating system for on the internet. Uh, but it's and also it's different. So you have the Peggy rating that's in mm -hmm. or Peggy or however it's pronounced over there um, in Europe, and then we have an Australian classification over here, and then you have Copper, which um, mm -hmm. regulates social media. So it's very confusing for parents. And I know yes. with Steam, for instance, which is the online store, if you go yep. looking for the ratings on the online store. Um, sometimes they exist and sometimes they don't and sometimes they seem accurate and sometimes they aren't so and then you might mm -hmm. search on something like common sense media see what they rated they might rate a social media um, app at 16 plus but then when the parents go and look at the uh, app store like Google Play or iTunes it says 13 plus so back to your role and what you do what do you actually do as a as a trauma psychotherapist what does your day look like what are so, you dealing with particularly now <laughs> well, with yeah. so many of us online and i imagine and i and i will say this that the one of the police commissioners last night on our news here in australia said that there was a 160 percent increase in cyber ab abuse of children online since COVID started mm -hmm. yes so some of the statistics are terrifying um, and I know that that you know that we have to I mean we do have to talk about these things we need to make it a, an everyday conversation within every household but at the same time I know that it's another one of those um, fear-driven conversations um, but what what my what my day looks like at the moment is pretty much being sat here or, or stood here in my home doing online therapy because um, my local city is under um, uh, uh, what they call a tier two lockdown at the moment mm. so I'm not actually in face-to-face -face, but what I do, what I pretty much do online is the same as um, in the corporeal world um, and that is to sit with either the children or the adults um, so I work with children and adults and it's to provide a safe therapeutic space and in that therapeutic space what I do is I explore you know what's going on for that person, how they think about the world, how they've perceived what's happened to them, um, where their issues might be, where there's changes in their, their life. And probably, I'm going to say over the last 10 years, it's become quite a specialism that people do come to me for um, cyber-related issues. So that can be from stalking to uh, domestic abuse, to child sexual abuse online, through to grooming. Um, through to, for example, the recent uh, video that was trending around the, the man who took his life and the video that ended up on um, TikTok. So pretty much my day is speaking to clients 
and speaking to people like yourself, particularly over the last couple of weeks, I've, I've done a lot of interviews and conversations about what we can do as parents and professionals to mitigate the impact of watching some of these videos online. So my main focus is on, you know, the, the, the images that the brain is not um, prepared to see. So that might be uh, developmentally because they're not prepared to see it or because somebody already has a trauma in their background and or because maybe they, they come from a vulnerable perspective, such as a, um, a child who's adopted, fostered or in a residential setting. So if we take it step by step, there's an alert, alert or an alarm that goes out that says there's this awful um, episode that's, that's <clears throat> going around social media. It might be mm -hmm. Snapchat, it might be TikTok, it might be um, YouTube. From your experience dealing with the fallout from this, how should um, the authorities deal with this to start with? The schools that have an obligation, if they've been informed, to inform their parent body? And then mm. the parents underneath. So let's start from there. How, okay. how do we word the warning? What do we advise parents to do if they are trying to prevent their child from seeing it? Then we'll talk about what happens when, when kids have been exposed. Yeah. So, you know, if we, if we take, for example, let's go all the way back to some of the hoax videos that exist, such as the, the Blue Whale and Momo, all the way through to the recent suicide video and all that was in between. Um, what I do know, and in fact, I'll go back to 2011 when I was working in the schools. Um, I was working with a, a group of 14 year olds and one of them happened to mention a video. Now, this video turned out to be a snuff movie, which is a, a, a video of a, a murder that was recorded and then put up onto a server. Um, what, what basically happens, and I've, I've got a blog on this called, I think it's called Dear Curiosity, Don't Look. Um, <laughs> what, what generally happens is one child will say to another have you seen mm. and more often than not that child will then go and google it go and search go and try and find what this video is <clears throat> there's another reason why children might go and find a video and it's to do with being part of a peer group so that mm. might be the idea of um well billy's watched it and timmy's watched it and if i don't watch it i'm not part of the gang so I mean, the, the, the reasons children will go off and find about this, this material in the first instance is, you know, for, um, and I'll just go over the reasons are one, they might be looking for it because, you know, Timmy said to Billy, um, have you seen such and such a video? Um, Billy and Timmy might be talking about it and, you know, the, the child involved might say, well, I want to be part of Billy and Timmy's team or their gang. And the only way I can do that is by, you know, going off and watching this video. Um, another reason children might go off and watch the video is to do with what we call um, scare tolerance. So that there's something about children who have a trauma background might go looking for something that's scary or distressing to see if they are able to tolerate that level of um, that level of distress. Because if they can manage this level of distress, then that other thing seems lesser, or, or you know, it might be something that they can manage in their their life mm -hmm. so more often than not i tend to find children who come from lower socioeconomic status backgrounds ones who have lots of traumas domestic abuse sexual abuse uh they're in the looked after system so they might be in a residential setting adopted they, they have more of a more of a perception perception try again they have more of a proclivity to go looking for this kind of material but also curiosity is innate we go looking for things pretty much like I talked about that video. Yeah. Uh, well, I noticed when that vi when the video happened over here that there were a lot of parents in the chat mm -hmm. actually saying, where is the video? How can I see it? I want to see it so that I know how bad it is. Okay, and we're recording and we're back after a nice holiday. <laughs> a week away, Kat. Yes. Uh, we, are, we are back and I've explained why I'm wearing something different and I think Kathy's wearing something different as well. It was all very dramatic. Um, and we were getting up to a point where I was asking your, for your, your tips and your advice on what schools should do. Mm -hmm. And I, I would say should, but I, we know it's a when. When something like this happens again, where there is something horrific that's going on around, and it might not even be as bad as, as that 
as the situation you mentioned, Kath, it could yeah. be that it's another sort of Momo type uh, hoax that's going around. How do schools approach that with their uh, parent groups so that they alert their, the parents and the school community without mm -hmm. creating panic and give the parents some kind of guidelines to um, how to talk to their kids. And that'll be the second part of my question about what parents do to kids after this, this first part. So if you yeah. were to give your professional opinion on that, um, what do you advise schools to do in these situations to prevent um, the kind of tra trauma that we've been seeing when these events happen? So, so what, what research tends to show in terms of, um, so let's, let's talk about curiosity. So um, uh, the reason I'm bringing that as the, the kind of the pivot of the, the argument is human beings are naturally curious. And I can't remember what I was saying last week, but I think I really, you were talking, you, know. you were talking to us about the curiosity and, and, and how kids are often uh, looking for things because they feel they're left out if they don't know about it, which is very yeah. adult as well. Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> did you hear the yeah. rumour about? No, I didn't so, hear the rumour. <laughs> okay. Yes. So in, the, in this circumstance, this is exactly what, um, what fear is driven by. So there's a, there's a curiosity of um, we've been alerted. So this might be a school. We've been alerted that there's something horrendous, horrific, and, and now it becomes kind of the fear monster. And as soon as we're introduced to something that's scary, that's frightening, there are pretty much two reactions. One is we retract and, and it's a biological process. Um, I'm not going to get too deep into it, but basically the way our nervous system works is we have a fight or flight response, but we also have a withdraw and shutdown. All of those uh, possibilities don't lend themselves to us being able to deal with something which requires curiosity. So when, when we're fear-based, we tend to retract. We then have a reaction rather than a response. And this is what I think happened in terms of the, the, the school's, uh, let's call it reactions, not just in, in Australia, but it, was, it happened here in the UK. Um, I saw it pretty much on social media all over the place that people kind of became so frightened by this particular video that what happened was they went into a fear response and started mm. with the don't look, don't look, stop, stop what you're doing. Um, and that actually just increases the fear because then it becomes a bigger monster than it actually is. And mm. we were talking about, you know, the suicide video is a horrific event. When we're talking about the hoaxes, they're not as horrific, but the body doesn't need to know what the impact is. It doesn't need to know on a scale of one to 10, just how scary it is. It assumes everything is an 11 because that's how we survive. So what, what um, research tends to show is when in the face of fear, we can um, lean into it, move forward and actually look at the facts, look at what's happening. We move into it from a place of curiosity that isn't about scaring ourselves. So to sum that up very simply, what, what I would advise schools, and this kind of leans in towards parents as well, is basically... Try not to make a drama out of it because that's what your body will tell you to do. You know, mm -hmm. stop, assess and critically think. And mm -hmm. when it comes to advising parents, um, you can say things like we have been advised or we've become aware of something that might be distressing to your children or, or will be distressing to your children. What we would like you to do is consider their use of technology have open conversations and actually create a space that isn't driven by fear. Now, that, that takes a lot of um, self-awareness. Um, it takes a lot of time because it's yeah. much easier to be in a fear-based state. It's, it's, that's how our brains have evolved. That's how, our, that's how our brains work. And given the choice, we would rather run away from something and then check back. It's, it's called the paper tiger phenomena. And, and what we would do is run away from a rustle in a bush just in case it's a tiger and actually it might be a paper version. So you can <laughs> see that our bodies are wired to run yeah. away and check on an err on the side of caution. And what, what I noticed in terms of the Momo, the blue whale, um, the suicide video, the, uh, the, there's lots of videos. In fact, if I start to name them all, what will happen is people will then go and find I was them. just thinking that as you were saying it, saying I was about um, to say, it's, you know, yeah. 
As a person working in this space, I don't go looking for that stuff because I pre I'm protecting my own psyche. It's, it's really curious, actually, who does and who doesn't. So mm. one of the things I've noticed in terms of, um, so I, I work with e-safety people, companies, businesses, those that have a trauma background, such as police officers, those who work in, for, for example, paramedics, they have a slight curiosity to look at things because it, it kind of comes in their framing of, well, I've seen it before. It can't be as bad as I think it is. And yeah. actually, you cannot prepare for a shock you cannot prepare for a fear and mm -hmm. that that takes us back to why children will go and look for something because it's about you know that bravado can they tolerate it um is mm -hmm. it something that that will have an impact that they can now say to their peers ah i managed to watch it uh you know little yeah, timmy didn't that's right. um and that's where that's where the competition comes in but for mm. a lot of adults there is something about surely it can't be that bad and that's the curiosity that can lead you to view something that actually is that bad. So, so can I ask you, with the suggestion that you've got for schools, which is really to be a lot more vague about it, doesn't that set uh -huh. off a situation of curiosity because everybody wants to know about it? So I'll give you an example. When my boys were at school, we got an email home basically saying to parents, um, there was a, a serious incident that happened on a messaging app with one of the students at school, please have open conversations with your children mm -hmm, about mm -hmm. the cyber safety, which was yeah. really vague. Then what happened was within the parent groups, everybody wanted to know what me me messaging yes. app it was so that they could take their child off that messaging app. But mm -hmm. funnily enough, the, this particular school were advised by a cyber lawyer not to name the platform that it was on in case that platform then sued the school for some kind of defamation yes yeah and the, which the, the, seems the, crazy <laughs> because the, that the app they were talking about because i knew which app it was because i was on mm -hmm. the grapevine is actually was actually one of the most dangerous apps for kids to use it was kick messenger um, mm -hmm. sue me <laughs> it was kick which, messenger which i i always advise parents yeah. that is out of all the messaging apps the one you don't want your kids using um, I do believe that Kick is now no longer on the market um, or used in the same way because, you know, basically as soon as uh, perpetrators are aware that, that that is the platform that's being looked at by, for example, the police, the schools, that they shift onto another one. So, you know, there's this thing about... It just we, hasn't we, changed, though. It's still happen. anonymous, yeah. the problem is, yeah. and it is still being used um, mm -hmm. over here. We've I've had reports from police that say that it's actually still being used, which surprised me because it's been around for a long time. I know mm -hmm. that in the talks I give, less kids are using it. It's fallen off because more parents are aware of the dangers of it. Yes. And yes. To, to be honest, that's the reaction I tend to get if I'm talking about um, any children that are being grouped. The, the police officers will always say, are they on kick? Well, no, there's lots of other platforms exist. Yeah, that's so right. So if, yeah. if we go back to um, the idea of vagueness, Yes. But then it, there also needs to be specificity because, yes, there is the potential that, um, you know, platforms can sue. It is unlikely because what happens on a platform isn't the platform's problem. Yes. But the other process of human beings is gossip. And by gossip, um, as primates, and this is about evolutionary psychology, so I'll keep it very simple. The way that we keep our tribe together is by talking. What, what we actually do is we have conversations. And of course, if we don't know where something is, we're going to say to somebody, do you know what app it is? No, yeah. let me go and ask Mary. Yeah. Mary, do you know what app it is? Well, I heard yeah. that it was Kit. Well, I didn't. I heard it was so-and-so. And then and actually, you can get a lot of misinformation and people mm -hmm. going off half-cocked doing different things. Yes. So, But this is what you're suggesting that schools do. And is I'm assuming uh, that's what a lot of schools are doing already that have, have had that advice. I, w I would suggest that we have to, you know, we do have to have specifics, A, to prevent mm. this, this spread of misinformation and even more fear, but there yeah. also needs to be a conversation about we are aware of an incident. If you require any more information, please speak to us. And actually, then it becomes a conversation between the parent and the school. I think a lot of maybe. schools would be reluctant for that. They'd be getting emails mm -hmm. and phone calls all day from freaked out parents wanting to know all the details. I think, I think it's a really hard situation, isn't it? It, it is. It is. Yeah. And there's also something about for parents, we can do the conversations where we go, I'm just wondering, you know, you know, when you play on 
fortnight. Has anybody ever said anything to you that you think's inappropriate? And actually, what you can get from a, a child is, you know, oh, yeah, there's lots of swearing. Um, Timmy said this. I got asked a question about my gender. I got asked where I was. I, I'm then advising parents. And that's where you have the open dialogue. But with schools, there's something about, um, I'm thinking about the, the, the position they often hold is we are the parent, we are responsible, and therefore we must give you the information on what to do and how to parent your child. And actually, there's so many different parenting styles. There's so many different um, personalities of the children and, and, you know, different histories and ways that they react in and around um, their families, the way that they use technology that we're never going to get a broad spectrum brushstroke that, that suits everybody. So what you mean is the schools would find it very difficult to give advice to the parents about how to approach it with their own children because yes. of those, yeah. So, so what we have uh, here in the UK is um, uh, an organisation called the Samaritans that talk about suicide. So when there has been a suicide, they mm. advise newspapers not yep. to talk about the specifics of the event, yes. uh, to veer away from uh, especially terminology like committed suicide because we don't yes. say that now we say you know died by suicide but to de we have the same thing over it. here and it's called mm -hmm. mind mind frame mm. yeah so it's mm. it's about the, we need the specifics but we we also need to take that fear edge off it to say that um so i i i would suspect that the best course of action would probably be to say we have seen that there has been for example, a video of um, a death by suicide on TikTok. We are aware this is not the only platform it may happen upon. You know, please have a conversation with your child, but also please refrain from, you know, not refrain from, because that sounds very critical, kind of, you must. Um, yes, yeah. Something about have a conversation with your child, but please be aware and keep an eye on that. So it's, it's more like... Um, in the real world, if there had been a kidnapping at the very end of one of the streets, we would all become alert and vigilant. We wouldn't start keeping our children inside. Well, some parents would. We wouldn't start yeah. keeping our children inside. What we would do is we would walk to school with them. You know, we would change our behaviour slightly for the situation until we felt safe again. What so are you saying that um, parents should... In that case, so uh, the schools have come out with this statement and the last thing that you said, it was a little bit more specific about what the action was and mm -hmm. what platform it was and the risks that it would be on other platforms. So are you now suggesting that that's what schools should do, be a little bit more specific than originally what you suggested? I, I think so. I think, I mean, we, we, the vagueness and the specificity needs to be a very fine balance. And like, like you said, okay. it's, it's very difficult depending on what the event is okay so yeah. for, for example if it is i mean this this death by suicide video was horrendous now i haven't watched it i've been told by a police officer that is one of the worst things he has ever watched mm. um we had a conversation and he said i was just curious i wanted to know so that i could answer the children's questions and i wish i'd never done it yeah. so i, I on, wouldn't on do scale, that for that reason yeah. either Me i neither. mean i just i don't think i need to see something like that and i know myself that I'm an extremely empathic person and I wouldn't mm -hmm. be able to cope emotionally with yes. with having said something like that and so I know there's been other situations out there where for instance people have uh, been talking about um, uh, TV shows that are on that uh, that are confronting and have certain subjects in them that I know personally I can't really deal with and often people say but you know you're teaching this stuff you should be able to deal with this and I'm saying no I do not need to expose myself to all of those I'm not a frontline worker like you were saying with the police where I have to view things in order to assess uh -huh. whether they are I will rely on professional people where that is their job to tell me and to inform the public as to whether something um you know what the content of something is without having to experience it well could could i get actually let's talk about tv programs for a second because um 13 reasons why yeah if that's I just what i'm that talking program. about right <laughs> so on on the first series there was a scene where there was a death by suicide but for me the the second series was the one that was really perturbing so what i actually said to um some of the schools that i was talking to at the time 
is please be aware that your young people may be watching a film called 13 Reasons Why. And I suggest that you have a conversation with parents. There is a sexual assault scene in it, which is highly graphic. And I would err on the side of caution of, you know, children watching it. But please be aware that it really doesn't take um, a complicated brain to work out two and two equals four because the, uh, there was no need for the program to actually include this scene in it. Um, mm. Done for drama, it was done for shock. This is one of the things that we've got to bear in mind at the minute is this is the, the world that we live in at the moment is producing a lot of what I call gore for gore's sake. Um, and it resulted in me having some really in-depth conversations with some of the children that came into therapy because they were appalled but what we were able to do was rationalise why the television programme had done this. But in terms of the 13 reasons why, the caveat nowadays is to go, if you've been affected by this, call this number. And, it, you yeah. know, it isn't good enough. It doesn't... Trigger warnings be, is what it, they wanted absolutely. on there. Yeah. yeah. And, and it raises another issue around um, parents' reactions to these things. The other thing that I'm seeing um, is that, Parent, a lot of parents are very unaware of the effect of this trauma on their children. Mm -hmm. So I know when discussions came up around um, that TV series, a lot of the parents were saying, well, um, I'm going to allow my, my you know, 10-year-old or 11-year-old to watch this um, or a 13-year-old because they didn't, I don't think um, they, I mean, that's, perfectly within their right and they have a choice as their parent mm -hmm. but I wonder how much um, education they'd had around the potential effects of the, that kind of stress on a young person's brain to be able to make that decision and, and that's what concerns, concerns me because it seems that I, I don't know if, I, if I'm completely naive and deluded but when I was growing up there were very clear boundaries for, for young children mm -hmm. around what mm -hmm. we should and shouldn't see you know all the adult programs that were on television were put on after a certain time of night to protect children from seeing yes. things that were unsuitable and mm -hmm. our parents were very clear on that no you shouldn't be watching the six o'clock news this is too traumatic for a seven-year-old and something has changed yes. in the 40 or 50 years since when I was a child where parents now don't have those very clear uh, guidelines or understandings of the fact that their children watching um, some kind of adult content or even the risk of seeing adult content should mm -hmm. be something that they're really concerned about and protective of. What, what's yep. going on there, Kath? Um, I think, and this has been my music, this is actually what I'm writing about at the minute, about that we have, um, so we've, we've gone from watersheds and explicit kind of if you like child ratings in terms of anything after nine o'clock you do not watch if you're under a certain age and then came the advent of 24 7 tv which mm. means that you know children can watch anything and everything whenever they want however they want as many times as they want mm -hmm. we then introduced the fact that you could um record pause. we made technology um accessible for the positives but actually what I didn't see and I don't see are conversations with, you know, child psychologists, child psychotherapists, neuroscientists, um, having a conversation about how do, we, how do we implement education for parents? Because the thing that I'm writing about at the minute, and this is where cyber trauma actually comes from, is the brain is not developed to see certain kinds of imagery, messages, uh, visuals, et cetera, et cetera, until specific ages. And this is why some of those ratings existed. And we've kind of gone a little bit um, vague again in terms of ratings because we have ratings for games, but actually those games ratings are generally about who they're sold to, not who can play them. So in, in Europe, we have the PEGI ratings and there's mm. the ERSB in the US and they've all got varying kind of ways of saying well, we could if there was some or, cohesion wouldn't there's, there yeah there's no there's i mean no we're dealing with the same human beings just because they're in different countries why should it there be yeah. different <laughs> different ratings yeah. and yeah. you know with music we have things like mature hat contains explicit lyrics well mm. that doesn't mean anything it doesn't yeah. mean anything and i'm fully yeah. aware that children listen to um 
uh, kind of the, the misogynistic uh, music, the rap, so on and so forth. And we don't, we don't kind of tailor that and we don't uh, oversee that. So I think it's been a, a very slow, lackadaisical move into not knowing what's suitable and not suitable anymore. And, and hopefully this is where conversations like this really help so parents. So I'm gathering from what you're saying is because it's so much more complex now and we don't yeah. have that sort of structure of having the television or the radio and this is all you get, you know, <laughs> unless you go to the movies. It's just this, this timeline and that was all strictly controlled um, mm -hmm. that with all the variants that we have, the 24-7, um, that lack of guidelines means that parents have also lost their guidelines. Our parents yes. just said, just um, there, obviously there, there were always parents around that will let their, their kids stay up late and watch the things that were probably quite shocking for them, mm -hmm, although mm -hmm. not that shocking in those days. There's a lot more shocking stuff now. Yeah. But in the whole, parents just walked that that line they just they accepted those the, mm -hmm. the the experts knew what they were talking about and that's why the classifications and 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 the way things were timed worked and now what you're saying is this generation of parents particularly that i that i'm aware of um that are sort of between the ages of say you know 25 and 40 are, are very different and maybe they were mm -hmm. also brought up in a different era as well and also that, you know, if, if the age rating, uh, you know, now you and I would know that it's an age rating regarding data and privacy, but if the age rating is 13 to use Facebook, parents will assume that the content on Facebook is 13 plus, you know. They, yeah, they well, I, I, what I say to them is that you think it's PG because they equate 13 with about PG. It's mm -hmm. in their mind. If you look at movie ratings, that's generally what it is, you know, like. PGs around a 13 age rating and then you get to mature in Australia. Mature is meant to be 14, 15. Um, mm -hmm. So I, one of the things that I constantly say to parents is 13 plus doesn't mean PG. It's really, yeah. as you said, simply about data collection by the social media companies. And then if you go on to um, iTunes and have a look at the, at the description, as you said, it's all generalisations, may contain you know, some violence and, you know, strong language mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff. And parents don't even read those things most of the time, let alone understand what the risks are for their kids. And they don't have yeah. on those ratings uh, potential danger of being groomed by a pedophile. <laughs> yes. So, so when, I, when I'm working with, it's usually therapists, because I do tend to teach therapists more than, more than anybody else at the moment. Um, I have conversations with therapist and say okay let's bring up somebody's Facebook feed and what we do is we say could you give an age rating to every single post that we go past and you can see that some people will post explicit language then somebody will post a video that we would probably rate as 15 and then there might be another one that's PG and then an 18 and an 18 and an 18 and I said so where's where is the consistency in terms of the content that you can see and I think given that, that right now we've got um, these documentaries talking about um, feeds are specific actually have the parents sat with their children and looked at that content coming through to to assess you know what kind of age rating it might be or what kind of content their children are exposed to or are we doing what brains normally do and becoming quite lazy that we make an assumption that the content will be appropriate because it will have been vetted because that's what we do we put trust in the social media companies we assume that they will look after our children do we make an assumption that our children are seeing the same as us or the same as their siblings? Or do we get into that space and place where, where I think the phrase is helicopter parent, which I think is just, it's just an awful phrase, that parents sit behind their child and watch every single thing that comes through because that's not allowing children to develop agency, autonomy and independence. So there's something here about we are in a, we're in a mess we're in we're mm. in a mess because mm. we didn't consider the you know what would happen um and i think that's what some of the social media documentaries are trying they to know, say at the, moment. the bottom line is nobody wants responsibility for it kath yeah and I, we know that there are a couple of senators over in the states at the moment that are trying to push to change um the ratings on some of the apps to make them more in line with the dangers to children not just about yeah. um the data collection and the whole thing needs to be overhauled 
and there needs to be much more education for parents about the types of harms that can happen to a child's development and their and their mental health when they're exposed to certain things before they're ready. Um, because there's far too many parents who, who believe that as long as they're sitting with their child when they're on a platform or they're watching mm -hmm. a, a TV show, that anything that happens on that screen, they can somehow protect them from or remedy them. And, and I, I often say to them, how fast are you at covering that screen? Because it only takes a couple of seconds for that image to imprint on that child's brain and, then, well, and you can't take that back. Mm -hmm. Half a second. So um, yep. research will actually show how eyes and brains work. It's half a second. You don't need a couple of seconds. And no, no person is as fast as that because the fastest, re this is going back to my martial arts days, the fastest reaction time is about 0.3 seconds. Another thing she that, does, martial arts. Not, no, not okay. <laughs> she um, bloody, you're a superwoman. <laughs> this was, well, um, I, was, I was quite sporty years ago, but um, I know I say years ago, not so much. Now, um, there is something about the fastest reaction time is usually about 0.3 seconds. That's for mm. somebody who's a martial art expert. That is somebody who is on their toes at every point of the parents are slow. And pretty much the way that the brain works, we have an upstairs, a downstairs, a left and a right. The downstairs part of the brain works approximately 287 to 300 miles an hour. The top part, which is the cognitive thinking, rationalizing, that's half a second slower than that 300 mile an hour bit that's already seen it, taken it in, understood it as mm. something very frightening mm. and mm. already made a decision, you know, mm. and this is why we have those moments where, you know, we will react to something and then go, oh, it was just a da 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 da, -da. So for example, yeah, if yeah. something drops, that's, that's why we have... That's why all, you get all those, uh, what's, I think they're called jump scare videos. Yes. On, on, I, I, I was submitted to one of those recently and nearly jumped out of my chair. So, Kath, let me ask you for parents, that if that happens to them, and for what, however it happens, it's either that a child, another child has shown your child something awful um, mm -hmm. outside of your home, or you've been sitting next to your child and supervising their experience on whatever platform it might be, um, and something comes up on the screen that you cannot take away. What are your what do you immediately do? What are your next steps? So I think most parents will have a, a normative, their brain will react and it'll be, oh, close the lid. Then comes the, okay, now you need to breathe. And it's always about that, that very moment between the incident and then what we do. So number one, breathe. And it's usually breathe out because when we get a shock, we go, <laughs> okay. and, and now you've got to breathe out. So when we breathe okay. out, we relax. It, it changes our biology and yeah. what we can then do is go wow that was really scary wasn't it i wonder what you're thinking or wow that made me jump i wonder how you're feeling so again it's always a, a compassionate curiosity because if we go oh my god that was awful why did you now we're in shutdown because actually the fear response is getting bigger and bigger and bigger and then the and, child feels they're at fault as yeah, well yeah yeah because Fear results in I'm bad, I did something wrong, shame, uh, more fear, and that's what we call a closed loop. You, you cannot really get to talk to somebody when they're frightened. I mean, yeah. the, the way I give an example of this is if you've got a scary dog that's... Rawr, 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 you're not going to try and talk it out of the cage or bring it closer. You're going to wait until the, the, the dog mm. seems less scared. And not that I'm equating children to dogs, but they are. They, there's a mammalian part of the brain that does exactly the same and that breathing out changes physiology to a <sighs> now now we can have an open dialogue so to go back to something that i think is really important about what you said leonie is this is why we should have e-safety conversations at school we need to educate parents way before we get to the oh my god there's been an incident so you were saying um that it should be mandatory to have the guidance for parents and the guidance ought to be coming well i mean for me it's a top-down bottom-up process top-down from the government okay e-safety is mandatory not for the children for the parents and what we do oh, i know 
Yeah, we give you education. We get to all the kids. The kids are a captive audience. They they can't leave the room once I yeah. <laughs> go in there. Oh, yeah. Some of them try to escape. But, um, yes, trying to get the parents to show up, it's got to be obviously I, I was at one school where they made it mandatory and I think I talked about that. But um, generally it's vol it's vol voluntary to, to show up and we, we've got yeah. so many issues with parents just thinking they know enough. It's that old uh, Dunning-Kruger, you know. Yes, and that's that's because we say it's about e-safety. If we said to them, yeah. this is about child development, this is how to create, if you like, yeah. the best spaces and places for the architecture of your child's brain, many parents would be, oh, I'm up for that. I would love my child to have a, a really excellent brain. Yes, I'm, I'm in for that. Because mm. I think sometimes it's how we sell it. Um, now, the, there's, there's ways and means. I have my own ways and means. I keep saying to schools, well, this is how you could make it mandatory without parents actually realising that it's about e-safety. But if you talk about children are not ready to be experiencing things that 18 plus... I, I often say that it's an 18 plus world. The internet is an 18 plus world. It wasn't designed for children, even though children exist on that, on, in that space. Yeah. Mm. A, third, a third of the internet users are considered children. We, mm. we wouldn't allow our child to go into a nightclub because we'd be aware of the dangers. And that's because... Yeah, we have, we've had that experience. Well, yes, we, we've right. had conversations. Not for a long about, time, but <laughs> we've had that uh, experience. Yeah, lots of, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's, but, you know, that you're right. The parents uh, see uh, the internet as something uh, for a lot of them where they've got no guide, guide, guidance. They, don't, that, they were never a child in that situation where yeah. they saw how their parents managed it and so they don't have that situation. But the, the other thing that I would... Um, to ask you about also was the other scenario that we started with is the parent gets the message home from the school there's something awful mm -hmm. on the internet you need to really watch your children at, at this particular time then you suggested that the parents if they've already had those open conversations it's not unusual then for them to make a general um, ask a general question about you know what's going on Yes. in general, around the types of platforms that they're using so that that doesn't come out of the blue. So mm -hmm. let, let's start having more of those open conversations about yes. children's yes. experiences online already, and that often comes as advice from uh, the school's e-safety programs and things that go around from the school and, and people like myself and others that go into schools. Have those conversations as soon as your child mm -hmm. picks up mm -hmm. an internet-connected device about what their experiences are so that well, when something happens it's not yeah. out of the blue it's just something that's regular so my my head is buzzing at the moment and i'm just thinking that's where the specificity can actually create those conversations so for example we all know right now thanks to um the the news and um all all the other platforms that death is imminent for many people because of COVID, because of cancer, because of uh, lots of other diseases. So we know that these issues, let's call them that, exist in the real world. So if you were to receive an email or a letter from the school that said there has been um, a sexual assault scene, there has been a suicide, actually now you can tailor the conversation with your child to say something around, I wonder what your thoughts are around people dying and death. So right now we have a, a brilliant space and place in time to be able to say you know corona sounds it's very scary i hear that people you know on the news you hear that people die i wonder what that does how are you feeling about that do you ever see anything like that on the internet do people talk about it on the internet now it's become a conversation about real life and i think that's that's the difference in terms of technology and um, parenting at the moment we make assumptions that we have to talk about technology and I'm going to say, we need to talk about life. We, we are adults. We have more experience of life. We understand conversations, people, the issues that exist. You know, we know that cars break down, roads need repairing, the weather changes, there's corona. We can have those conversations and include technology into those conversations. And I think if we did it that way around, it's less intrusive for the children. It feels like a normative part of daily life. Yeah, yeah. And when incidences come, you know, from the school that actually we've seen that there has been a death by suicide, well, you're already having those conversations with your children. 
now you can talk about death, suicide, and then technology. And it's, it's almost like you're leading towards technology, but not making it about the technology. And that then, I would, I would suspect, then veers away from that, I now have to look for it on technology. Because actually, you know, we do talk about these conversations all of the time. And this is where parents will say to me, but I'm not tech savvy, Kath. I don't know as much as them. And I go, but you know more about life. Yeah, you know, that's you've experienced right. three, two, three, yeah. four times. You don't have to be. Children. You don't have to be a tech expert. Um, no. and, and in fact, your children are your best teachers by talking mm -hmm. to them mm -hmm. about how things work and what they do. Keeping in mind, a lot of parents will say to me, oh, I can't um, stop my child from doing this or the other because they're a tech genius. And I, and I said, look, this isn't about you trying to outwit your child on technology. Yeah. If you think it, you can outwit your child on technology, as we say over here, you're dreaming. Not e mm -hmm. myself as somebody who's been in this space for a long time, ever dreamt that I could do that with my kids from, from an early age. This is about, like everything else, about holding your children accountable if they break boundaries and having clear boundaries yes. around things. That if they do outwit you on technology and get around the little guardrails that you've got up, that there's, an, there's a consequence for doing that. And that's what's more, mm -hmm. most important, mm -hmm. not constantly trying to put these blocks up all over the place. So my last question to you before we go, because this is, I've been taking up way too much of your time, is how does a parent know when to take their child off to see someone like you, a therapist? Because I have had parents contact me who have said that their child was exposed to something horrific online and they were really frightened and they thought that their child might actually be permanently mentally damaged by it. Um, mm -hmm. And... I did suggest to them that they go and, and seek help, at least to have an assessment done. So what, what, are, we, what are parents looking for? Because ch some children might hide their trauma, I imagine. Absolutely. So yeah. generally, there's two, there's two reactions to a trauma. What, as I yeah. said, we have the fight or flight. So if I, um, I'll explain. I, I did a, a, one of these kind of videos for um, somebody up in Scotland and one of the parents had said, my daughter came running down the stairs. She said she felt sick, etc. Okay, that's what we call the fight or flight. She was in a space and place where it was mummy, 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 you know, Panic, couldn't speak yeah. properly, came mm. down and, and actually was in a space where mum could regulate. So I'm going to use this word uh, co-regulation in just a second. Other children will dissociate. They may have a reaction where they go, hmm but actually their body is still having the same kind of reaction. It's the way that their body copes with it. So the, the way that we react in trauma is often fight or flight, which is what we call mobilized to safety. That's get the hell out of there, get to something safe, go and seek help versus mobilized without safe, uh, um, immobilized without safety. And that's where the body shuts down. The brain goes, well, it wasn't that bad. So even when your children reflect that they weren't bothered, that, they didn't really care. Um, it's, it hasn't had any effect on them. What I would say as a parent is watchful eyes. So this is not helicopter parenting as that horrible phrase. This is about watch your child. Uh, trauma often results in different things happening in the body. So they might become agitated, sweaty. They might regress and begin soiling themselves. They might have night terrors. They might want to be, you know, sitting on your lap every two minutes of the day. And, mm. and I think the phrase that's often used is clingy. You know, my child's just become clingy again and I can't understand why. Um, yeah, and it's because not wanting having, to, to go yeah. to school or go out or yeah. things that they would normally have not have a problem with. Yeah. yeah so okay. it can be going off food, eating more food, sleeping better, sleeping more, sleeping less. Sometimes, some parents, parents will say to me, isn't that just being a teenager? <laughs> it, it, yes it is and it isn't so it's all mm. for me there's something about go and learn about um a little bit of neuroscience so i'm going to plug um dan siegel's book there the whole brain child um learn from people like myself in terms of what brains do what bodies do in trauma um i have a video on youtube that people can go and look at in terms of the responses that the body and the brain has um and be watchful trauma can take some time to appear and what I mean by that is some people will have an instantaneous reaction. For others, it's delayed. So again, 
you never know what the incident is but keep an eye on your child and your child's change in behavior is the indicator because behavior is the form of communication often they don't have the words so if they suddenly start you know becoming agitated and they won't go to bed and now they want the light on there's an indicator that something has mm. changed and they might, and might not have even told you about yeah. the incident in the first place absolutely. it might take quite a while and i have had um clients of mine where that's absolutely happened where the child has even at five years old there's something in that child that knows they shouldn't have seen what they saw and did not yes. tell their parent and the parent the first thing they noticed was the change in behavior because they felt they were going to be in trouble even at five years old for seeing yeah. something they shouldn't have seen because it might have been on a device they weren't supposed to use at that particular time or whatever yes. it might be yep so it's quite the extraordinary most in, yeah, yeah the most yeah. innate emotion is shame and if mm. we have an inkling of shame so whenever i'm working with children in in generic therapeutic setting um Anxiety is always related to shame. Depression is a, there's always shame at the very bottom of this this kind of funnel. Shame is a feeling none of us like because it's that <gasps> I am bad. So if we think we're going to be in trouble, we ain't going to tell somebody because we don't want to feel that feeling. So we would cover it up, but the body says you need to explain to somebody. So often um, you'll see phrases in the trauma world of the body keeps the score the body speaks the mind you know the body remembers the body is 80 percent of the information we understand about the world we live in so 80 percent of the time the body is trying to communicate with us whether it is to another person or to us internally and mm. this is why sometimes children will say well i'm not bothered you know from from the head up that's how they think they feel but actually they feel very differently so that's that's where agitation might show up it's where um children will constantly be asking questions about on tele so this is one of the things i have noticed is children will be sat watching tele yeah. going what are you watching what are you watching what they're actually saying is is there going to be something scary mum is, is something scary coming up in the program because i had this one incident and now i'm frightened about everything that i watch from now on may have something yeah, that, that yeah. On, on an equal path Okay, well, that's all good. That's all really good advice. And, and I think, you know, I imagine your advice to parents would be, if in doubt, get in contact with somebody. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, an assessment can always give you an indicator because children will speak to a stranger about the things that they, let's do, do the air quotes, shouldn't mm. have been doing far yeah. easier Sometimes, more, yeah. more often. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's all really, really good advice. Thank you so much for your time over the last <laughs> two weeks, Kat. You're welcome. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it, Leonie. And, and you know, this is, this is something I love to talk about in terms of um, going back to something that you said earlier. I think we really need to, re uh, as you said, overhaul and start again in terms of the advice yeah, and guidance yeah. that we give parents. Yeah, in a, glo in a global fashion as well. Let's make mm -hmm. it clear and unequivocal. And I'm, I'm sure the problem is that, the, that there are so many contradictory studies out there um, and, and research, and often the researchers are all arguing with each other about, you know, whether <laughs> what their research is. But I think, and I think for parents, they're looking for really good guidelines. But it's, mm -hmm. it needs to be in their face. It needs to be something that pops up on the screen in front of them and says, Warning, warning, this is, uh, you know, the material in this is only suitable for this age range, regardless of how mature you think your child is. It can't be something where you've got to look down the bottom of a, you know, in the tiny little writing at the back or understand mm -hmm. the difference between a PEGI rating and an Australian classification or an iTunes classification. All those inconsistencies, is a, it's just a complete waste of time. Parents do not have time. And Yes. And to, I think as a, as, a, as a society, we need to stop with the, the fear-driven messages. So I'm, I'm particularly online harms and cyber trauma, but actually that's not the message I deliver. I deliver, yes, there are horrible things, but actually if you learn X, Y, Z, or if you learn about your children, or you've got this. Parents are the, the experts of their families. They are the experts of their children, mm. and children mm. are the experts of themselves. We've got this <laughs> if we mm. learn mm. to breathe. And what, what's happening at the moment is, and I'm watching, we've got an online harms webinar in, in this country very shortly, and it's being driven by the addiction model. It's being driven by the social media and mental health. It's almost like make parents terrified 
that it's their fault. That's because and, they want you know they want bums on seats, Kath. That's why they do it. If they put and, a lot yeah. of money into putting something on, they want bums on seats. And and the soft mm -hmm. approach or the um, empowerment approach, which is my approach, is the empowerment yes. approach for both parents and kids. Sometimes um, is it is a much harder sell than saying, you know, if you don't do this, your kids are going to go to hell in a mm -hmm. handbasket or whatever it is. And I, th but I think that that approach, um, particularly over here, is dying out. I know that with my other um, e-safety providers over here, that there's much less of that happening. I think we get every people are getting the message. Mm -hmm. So, um, Catherine, if people want to find out about uh, um, your your books and your uh, videos. CatherineNibs.co.uk and yep. I've also got Cybertrauma.co.uk and on, on both of those sites you'll find blogs. So there's, there's cyber-related blogs on one and the other one takes you to Medium. So I'm trying... I really need to streamline and just have one one website, but because I do too many different things. Yeah. It's been fabulous talking to you, Kath. I can't wait to talk to you again um, at some point because you're a fascinating person and, and that, uh, your in-depth description of this I think is really, really important for parents to hear and you put, you put it in a way that's really understandable and makes sense. So thank you for listening to the Digital Families podcast. If you like this podcast, please leave us a review or feedback on YouTube, wherever you're listening to us. Um, probably um, iTunes by the by the look of it from most of you. Um, I'd love to hear what you think if you have got a review or any feedback, maybe a suggestion for a potential guest. Tune in again next week for our next chat about all things digital and how it affects families. Thank you.